how to enjoy your Bible as we look at this and we're just kind of moving along in, a, in an overview manner. I put the chart up behind so we, we can have that just as a reference guide as we look here. And when you come to the scriptures, again, on the, right above the double doors coming in, we quote Romans 4, what saith the scripture? I, will, I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things. You don't care about any of them, and that's fine. And that's not how I teach. We teach with what the scripture says. By the way, you need the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, okay? And uh, we've been looking at just really in an overview, in a, in a cursory manner, the issues of how to, how to enjoy the Bible. We, we started, obviously, you start in Genesis, so that's where we kind of started. Genesis to Malachi, we looked at time past, and we looked at the issues of time past, but now the ages to come, the characteristics of it, the, the, the basic characteristics in time past is the issue of the difference between circumcision and uncircumcision. Those that are on the right side of the, of the wall, the covenant relationship with God that moves from the seed of the woman to seed of Abraham, to the seed of Isaac, to the seed of Jacob. Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. That confirms the way that God had determined to do it, which was the elder shall serve the younger. And there's a reason for that. And, and you get in and you begin to study it out. And, and out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. And so then Israel in the Old Testament in time past is the main, is the main agency. Then he gives the law to Moses. The, the Ten Commandments is, by the way, the Ten Commandments are the, that, that's, the, that's the, the broad categories. Then the other 600 and so commandments are the case studies or, the, or they get down in the weeds for it with you. And he gave that to the nation of Israel as they are to be guided as in the becoming that kingdom of priests, that royal priesthood that they're supposed to be and will be one day. Then their focus, by the way, is here on the earth. Their concern is the earth. God's concern from Genesis 1, verse number 2, and the earth was without form and void, is the earth, all the way down to Acts chapter number 9. Earth, earth, earth. And their hope and what the pro prophetic scriptures are all about is a coming kingdom. And the goal of prophecy, we looked at it, it's this issue of God setting up his kingdom here on the earth. A literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic in nature, because it's David. He's the king. Kingdom. With the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah, sitting and reigning over the governmental structures of the, of the earth. That's their focus. And so when we come into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we looked last week at those four prophetic portraits of the Messiah. By the way, the, the Lord's name wasn't Lord, wasn't Jesus, and it wasn't Christ until after his incarnation. But prior to his incarnation, you guys understand that, right? Well, let me throw you a bone. Come over here to 1 Peter. I'm, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 5. You have to pay attention to your scriptures. Things are in here for, and they're said a certain way. Look at 1 John 5, and look at verse 7. The verse on the Trinity, on the Godhead. What, note, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the who? The Word. His name was Word. Word, man, Word. You know, he, he's the Word, see? That's why Gabriel tells Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, his humanity. That's why Nathaniel and Philip, and they say, we have found the Christ, the Messiah. That's Christ, the anointed one. So then, Lord, who is he? he Acts 2, we're going to go back to Acts 1. We're going to see it here in Acts 2 in a minute. He's Lord and Christ, judge, Lord, God, judge, Christ, Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer. So there's things that when you get into this, so when you come into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the reason for the four is those four behold statements, four branch statements. Behold your king. Behold the servant, your servant. Behold the man. And behold God. There he is. 
and those branches and those, there's, by the way, there's carpenter statements. There's four carpenters. There's four creatures, the cherubs, make a, and they got four faces. You go and look at the seraphims in, in, the, in the throne room in Revelation 4, and they've got all these, they got these four faces around them. It's very fascinating. Four is there. So you got this picture, this portrait of Messiah and who he is. And what did Israel do when he showed up? Well, you knew they were in trouble when the wise men come in Matthew chapter 2 there, and they go to the chief priest and, the, and Herod and say, where's king of the Jews? We're coming here to worship him. And Herod goes, who? And they go, uh, well, there's a little verse back there in Isaiah that says something about Bethlehem, Judah, you know, being the, something important. We'll look into it. Don't worry about it, Herod. It's okay. Yeah, well, he's a young child and so forth. I know it's Christmas time. We'll talk about a little bit of that in, 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 in a couple weeks. But the point is, is they stumbled over the Messiah. They stumbled over the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's, how, that's, who, that's his name today, by the way, Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he went to Calvary and became the propitiatorial act, sacrifice, for you, for me. He is the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's always going to be the Word, but He's also now what? Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, Avenger, Blesser, and one day to be the King of Kings. Lord of Lords. The only potentate. That's who He is. He's the preeminent one. He's the, the goat, the greatest of all time. That's Him. Why? Because of what he willingly did and chose to do at Calvary in obedience to the will of his Father, the will and the word of his Father. But now we come to Acts, the book of the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, as they say. And, and it's an interesting thing when you come into Acts because we come really to the, one of the greatest battlegrounds of scriptural debate and argument and there's no need for it if you just simply read. Unfortunately, we don't do that. We have our theology statements and our doctrinal statements that we're going to defend, and we're going to defend it at the drop of no matter what. So the book of Acts needs to be understood as what it is, and it is a transitional book. By the way, never base doctrine on transitional books. There's three of them in your New Testament Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews, because what's going to happen is as we go here, you'll begin to see things are shifting, and you never want to build doctrinal stands on shifting sand. You don't want to do that. In, in Acts, the book is it's transitional in nature. And again, I'll be honest with you, when I read and look at all of the all of the differences out there, and people talk about Acts and this and that, <laughs> they miss that transitional nature of this book. They think it's something, Acts chapter 2 is the start of the church, the body of Christ, so now we got something new, woohoo! and it's not at all. What that helps us to, rec when we recognize the transitional nature, you know what that helps us do? It helps us not to overlook the fact that, that this book, rather than it being a history lesson, okay? Now, Acts does contain history in it, but it is not that, that is not the intent of it, is to be a historical reference. Rather than taking Acts and saying, it's going to be a pattern for us to follow today in the age of grace, it's rather important to come to understand that Acts is written with a legal mind and stay and, and point and thought. Because what Acts is, is Acts is a written indictment against Israel for their failure to recognize their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, for their failure to come into the ministry and under the ministry of the little flock and the, the believing remnant, the 12 apostles and the believers, the Acts 2 church, 
and then a failure to recognize the new dispensation by the Apostle Paul. At the old ball game, three strikes and you're what? You're out. That's why the fall of Israel takes place in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, writ is a written indictment against the nation of Israel. It's fall and God's reasonings behind sending salvation to the Gentiles apart from the nation of Israel is what's chronicled and, and legally brought out in the book of Acts. I know we use it for history, but that's not the point at all of the book. The point in the book of Acts is it's going to provide an explanation as to why the program that's found in the early chapters passes off the scene. And there's now a declaration by this new guy, the Apostle Paul, going to the Gentiles. Why is that? That's what Acts is all about. Yeah, but Rick, what about this? No, it doesn't matter. If you don't have a foundational understanding of what Acts is about, you can't debate anything else because it's just mere opinion. What is Acts about? Again, you go to the commentaries, the commentators, and all that stuff out there, and they all have different. It's a historical account of the beginning of the church, the body of Christ. True to a degree, but not completely. It's much deeper. It's much more to it. And that issue here of why has Israel fallen? Why has there now been a declaration of this Apostle Paul guy that, that is now going to come in and he's going to make a declaration about the fulfillment of the prophetic program has been interrupted? It's been delayed. It's been, it's been, it's been stopped. It's been shut down. Why is that? That's what Acts does. It doesn't do anything else. That's the, so when we come to Acts, you know what begins to happen? <laughs> you get a lot of stuff going on in here, and you're going, what in the world is going on? Well, the first thing you need to understand, you got Acts 1, and then get Luke 24. Is that Acts, by the way, the book of Acts is Luke volume 2, okay? But Acts literally is just simply a continuation of the four Gospels. Acts starts in no special, it's just a continuation. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 3. Acts 1, 3. To whom also he showed himself alive, so to whom, that's going to be to the apostles, the end of verse 2. He, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, showed himself alive after his passions by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So you go back to Luke 24, you start in verse 36, and do you know what you begin to read about? The infallible proofs. And him showing himself and doing. And in verse 36 down to 42, what does he do? He, they're in lockdown mode. He shows up, and I know what the Lord did. I know it's not in Scripture, but when the Lord shows up in the middle, you know what he went? He went, boo. <laughs> you know, their doors are locked. Peter looks around. He's counting. He's like, man, there's 13 of us in here. There's something wrong. And the Lord goes, boo. But what did the Lord do here? By the way, look there at verse 42. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. What did he do? He just demonstrated that he's not a ghost. He's not a figment of their imagination. He sat down and ate with them. Infallible proofs. Acts starts with some infallible proofs. Acts 1 verse 3, he's speaking of them things pertaining to who? To what? The kingdom. What's verse 44 say? And when he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And what does he begin to do with them? Expound to them 40 days about the things pertaining to the kingdom. It's just picking up right where Acts is picking right up where Luke left off. Chapter 1 of Acts, verse 4. 
and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And John truly baptized with water, but he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 8, and, but ye shall receive, the, receive power after that the Holy Ghost is What are they waiting for? The Holy Ghost to come. But look at Luke 24. Look at verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Right where Luke ends, Acts picks right up there. Verse 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was departed from them and carried up into heaven. What's Acts 1.8 describe? His ascension. By the way, Acts 1, if you look there at verse 12, then, they, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey about two miles out, Mount of Olive, Olivet. But what did Luke 24 tell you? Where are they at? Bethany. You see, Bethany and Mount of Olives are on the same place. That helps. My point, is, uh, go back there to Luke 24. Look at verse 40, well, 46. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now look at Acts 1 and verse 8. You can let Luke go for a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he's taken up. Right where Luke says, this, you're going to start in Jerusalem, Acts picks it up and says, you're going to start here, but you're going to continue out over to there. My point is, is early Acts, you're still in time past. You're just a continue. Peter is just continuing what the Lord in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 is laid out for, for Peter and the little flock to continue on in his absence. Peter is, is doing that. He ain't missing a beat. Nothing new. Nothing about you got to believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day in order to have justification unto eternal life. None of that. Actually, in Acts chapter 2, he's going to change it completely, and he's going to say, you've got to repent and be baptized for the remissions of sins. And, and you know what? Begins, and now you guys, it's, complete, it's just a continuation of what the Lord had taught them. We're just now in a new phase because now the kingdom is going to be offered to the nation. Look at verse 6, Acts 1 and verse 6. Acts 1, verse 6. I've got to get there. Somehow I was in Acts 4. That won't work. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him. Okay, so you have, you have the 11 apostles. Actually, you have 12. Matthias is there. Matthias has already been talked about by the Lord after the resurrection as if already in the office. The event in Acts chapter 1 just confirms the office. We do that. What do we do in November? We elect officials, and he's president-elect until January when they do what? Inaugurate. So Matthias, Judas goes, betrays, dead. Matthias is already considered a 12. That's why when you read in passages back there before Acts 1, and it, it'll be the 11, the 11, the 11, and then all of a sudden he'll say, and the 12. Where did we get 12 when we got one dead? What well, he's already there, okay? You think about it and you study into it, okay? I can't do all your studying for you, but, that's, you gotta, but I'll point them out to you as, if I can. And if you have questions, you can ask and we'll, 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 we'll look at it. But look at verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to everybody? No, Israel is still in play, aren't they? Isn't that interesting? 
Nothing changed here about going out to all the nations. It's now it's just to who? Hey, will you restore Israel? Is still God's chosen agency in the earth. Come over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse, well, verse 40. Now pick a verse. Verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. Why in the world are they going to the temple? Because the law of Moses said what? Get up there to the temple. So the law of Moses is still in play. Isn't that interesting? Chapter chapter 1, look at verse 8. Chapter 1 and verse 8. Actually, you know what? Go over to chapter 3 and verse 24. I know I throw you a curveball, but you can, you'll, you'll live. Chapter 3, verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that followed after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye, Israel, are the children of the prophets and of the covenants which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. So what's still on play? Gentiles are still going to be blessed through who? Through the instrumentality, the use of who? Israel, Abraham's seed. Still there. Same thing we learned in Genesis to Malachi. Same thing we learned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's still the same as we begin the book of Acts. Nothing has changed. Chapter 1, verse 6. By the way, that's what verse 8 said. You're going to go be a witness unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 6, what are they looking for? They're looking for a kingdom. A literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic in nature kingdom. Where they come in and they're going to do the Beatitudes and they're going to have that Mount, that Sermon on the Mount message of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that spontaneous lifestyle of living for the others, taking the God, the lifestyle of the Godhead and putting it on display in the earth in a physical, tangible way so that the world can see what it is to have the character of God live in your lives. By the way, you and I have the same. Actually, Paul mandates that we live that way, Philippians 2. We just choose not to. You think about this. Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. So Acts, the book of Acts, that written indictment against the nation of Israel, and then the reasoning, the legal reasoning of how and why God can take his salvation and take it away from the nation of Israel and send it to the Gentiles through a new agency. Luke 13. In Luke 13, verse 6, the Lord speaking here, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come. Now let's pay attention to this. Here's the Lord speaking. He talks about a fig tree. The fig tree in, the nation, in, in, in Scripture is a picture of Israel's what? Their religious life. He's, he's got a fig tree planted in a vineyard. Vineyard, the vine, is a picture of Israel's national life and national history. So he planted a religion within the nation of Israel. And you know what he's, by the way, in in a little bit here in Luke, he's going to curse that religion and shrivel that bad boy up and said, it's done, it's dead. But then he says, behold, these three years I come. What's the Lord been working in Israel? Three years, public ministry out, working and doing, seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it to the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Matthew chapter number 3, he talks about where the, where the Lord's going to come and baptize them with fire. He's going to take the wheat into the garner. He's going to take that chaff and he's going to burn it up. What's he doing when he cuts down that fig tree? 
He's burning that bad boy up. It's done. My point is, is how long did he say, give me, give me, give me, give me a chance? One year. Now, the 69 weeks of Daniel 9, we looked at a couple weeks ago, stops right here. After the 69 weeks is the Messiah, is cut off. There's Calvary. Between this point, and I'm going to close this for just a minute, between Calvary and the beginning of the 70th week, nobody knows how long that time was going to be prophetically. It was never discussed. It was never made known. Okay? The Lord said, give me a year before we do what with it? Cut it down. But Daniel 9's got a whole bunch of stuff that's got to happen in all this. Okay, the city has got to be destroyed and this and that and all this stuff, all right? This first year to Stephen is one year. It's the year for him to come in and dung around the tree and hopefully catch it. After that year is up, what are they going to do to that tree? What does the Lord say? Cut it down. What happens in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen? What does he declare the nation to be? Uncircumcised, cut off, cut down. Now, from this point, and again, from this point to this point, the rest of Daniel 9 is going to take place. You with me? Okay. You just threw your commentaries and your theology books and your doctrinal statements out the window when you grasp this. From this point to there, there's no time attributed. So we have a gap of prophetic time, and then the Lord gapped the gap for a year. He put a gap, a year, a year gap in there. By the way, I'll freak you out even more. What did we do to that time? We gapped the gap the gap. See, when that year was up and they fall, what did he do? He says, I'm going to interrupt that rest of that time period with the church, the body of Christ. Don't ever think. I hope you would never say there's not gaps in your Bible because there are, and they're everywhere. And you've got to be careful with them, and you have to be able to identify them. We'll talk some more about that in the new year, okay? My point is, is Luke 13 tells you, the Acts, early Acts days, go back to Acts 1, is going to be very, it's going to only going to go a year. He isn't going on and on and on. It's just that year. Now, when you come, so in early Acts, where are we? We're still in time past. We still got Israel. We still got the law. We still got the kingdom. We still got a mess of rebellion of Israel against the Messiah against the 12 apostles, and against that little flock. Therefore, this book is a book of transition. Now, get chapter 1, verse 6, and go get 13, chapter 13, verse 46, and just, do some, just think about this issue. And, we're, and I, I, gave, I, know the, I gave you some things there, and you can look at them. We're not going to look at all of them, but we're going to look at most of them because... Uh, I'll get in trouble. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now look at, compare that with 1346. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should have first been spoken to you. Who is that you? It's the Jews. It's Israel. Back up in verse 44 and 45. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Where's the, where's the kingdom? You see how there's nothing here about the kingdom. Come over to Acts 28. 28, 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. What's happened? We start, hey, are you going to bring the kingdom into us now for Israel? And we end with going to who? To, something's a shift here. We've got a transition. We've got a movement here. Come over to chapter 2. 
of Acts in verse 38. Now, this one, you, man, if you can't read this, then we got to send you back to elementary school. Look at Acts 2.38. And this is the part, I'm, 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 I don't get mad at anybody really anymore. I used to, but I don't anymore unless you're just wanting to be me, me be mad at you. But the lack of reading the verses is just astonishing to me of so-called experts or theology people. Look at Acts 2.38. Then, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's the formula? Repent, baptize, remission of sins, Holy Ghost. Okay? So repent, be baptized, get the Holy Ghost. Let's just use those three. Now come over to chapter 10 of Acts. Chapter 10, verse 34. 1034. Then Peter opened his mouth. So who's going to be speaking here? Peter is. By the way, who's Peter talking to? Cornelius. Who's Cornelius? He's a Gentile of a certain Italian band. See, the Italians made it to the scriptures. Yeah. Okay? All right, there you go. He's a Gentile. Now, drop down. By the way, what does is, what is Peter preach to, to him? Verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. What did Peter just say there? You got to work some righteousness to be what? Accepted. You see that? Peter's preaching the same thing he was preaching in Acts 2. He's just now teaching to who? To some Gentiles. Okay? That's a transition. That's a movement. But look at verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words. Now, again, what's Acts 2.38, the great verse? What's our formula? Repent, be baptized, remission of sins, get the Holy Ghost. Watch these birds. 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they, wait, huh? We're out of order now, aren't we? And they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. Now, I'm going to give you my own little pet peeve right here. That means that the events of Acts chapter 2, there were no Gentiles involved at all with anything in Acts chapter 2. Because what were the believers in 45? They were astonished. You don't read any of that in Acts 2. So when you hear people say, well, in the crowds of the great multitudes there in Acts 2 were Gentiles. No, they were not. Why? Because if they had been, the believers would have been what? Astonished. You, you follow that? Okay. Now, what, now watch. They were astonished as many as came with Peter. Why? Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why were they astonished? Because the Gentiles now are speaking in tongues, the evidence, the, the outward evidence of, I got the Holy Ghost. Woohoo! The circumcision believers, the men, men, members of the little flock, they look at that and they're like, oh, something's wrong. <laughs> What's going on? See? By the way, verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as... What's their order? Holy Ghost? Speaking in tongues. By the way, if they got the Holy Ghost, then what did that mean? They believed the message of Peter. So then where are they? Little flock members, believing remnant members. Not body of Christ. Rain on your I'll rain on your parade. Just give me a minute. They hear the word, believe the word, get the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, and then Peter says, can anybody forbid these guys to be water baptized? We have a transition. Now, come over to chapter 16 of Acts, and you get the Philippian jail. Do you see? This book is transitional in nature. Chapter 16, verse 31, we have the 
Philippian jailer, verse 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that interesting? Paul and Silas are there, the great earthquake. They don't leave. They, everybody who's there, the Philippian jailer, he asks, Sirs, what must I do? Isn't that interesting? You go back and look at 237, they say, what do we do? But they ask the right questions, and Paul says, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, comma, and thy house. In other words, if you're going to be saved now in Acts 16, what's the formula now for salvation? Believe. Nothing else. That's a transition. That's a movement here. And again, you can take chapter 2, verse 14, and verse 22 and verse 26. Well, let's just do that real quick. You're in Acts. Well, we're just in Acts. Acts 2. Acts 2, 14. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea. So who's he talking to? Israel. Verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Verse 26, or well, verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. See? Come over to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 19. Chapter 11, 19. Now there were, which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. How, how are we starting? Jews only. Jews, Jews, Jews. Now come on over to... Uh, well, we saw chapter 13, verse 46. Where's Paul going? Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Come over to chapter 18 and verse 6. 18, 6, the end of that verse. By, well, verse 6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own hands. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And then 28, 28, where are we going? To, to the, that's a transition. And to say it's not is simply to not read the verses. You go back there to chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you whom the heavens must receive unto the time of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Obviously what we're doing, I'll come over to chapter 20 and look at verse 24, chapter 20 and verse 24. Chapter 20, verse 24, Paul's talking to the elders of, at, of Ephesus there at Miletus, and he says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That is different than 319 to 21. That's the prophecy message. Chapter 20, verse 24 is the grace message. By the way, if you drop down and look at verse 32, he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So obviously the book is what? A transitional book. It's, it's transitioning from what? Time past into the butt now. So guess what you got? You got I, I love people. Outline the book for me, Rick. You, real easy. Peter, Paul. Next point. <laughs> okay. So I, Acts chapter 2, you have Peter's first sermon. Acts 13, Paul's first recorded sermon. Acts chapter 3, Peter's first miracle. It, by the way, it's a dispensational in nature miracle. Acts 13, Paul's first miracle, dispensational in nature. In Acts 3, Peter takes the, the, the impotent man, heals him, brings him into the temple. Here's Israel, impotent, can't get in the temple, can't do it. Here comes Peter, little flock, picks up, heals him into Paul. You got the blind Jew so the Gentile can see. 
okay, dispensational in nature. By the way, the Lord's first miracle in John chapter number 2, the water to wine, he's bringing in the kingdom blessing because when there are no wine, there's no, no good times, and when there's wine, we got great times. So what's he doing? He's coming in with the kingdom blessing, bringing in that kingdom. Acts chapter number 8, you have Peter condemn a sorcerer. Acts 13, Paul condemns a sorcerer. Acts 9, Peter raises the dead. Acts 20, Paul raises the dead. Acts chapter 5, there's special miracles done by Peter. Acts chapter 19, Paul does special miracles. Am I going too fast? All right. Well, I can go faster. Acts chapter 8. Paul, Peter lays on, lays on hands to give the Spirit to, 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 the, to, um, to the Samaritans. Acts chapter 19, Paul lays hands on to give the Spirit. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 12, Peter is imprisoned. In Acts chapter number 21, 23, and 28, Paul is imprisoned. Break it up real quick, two books, Peter, Paul. Acts chapter 9, come over to Acts 26. Acts chapter 9, with the salvation and the commissioning of the Apostle Paul, that marks the boundary line dispensationally. That puts a mark in there. We've got the fall of Stephen in Acts 7. That's where they fall. That's where the Lord changes, the, interrupts the dispensation. And then in Acts 9 with Paul, now we've got the new dispensation going. But look at Acts 26. And Paul is before King Agrippa. Now, by the way, fun fact. In Acts 22, Paul, talking to the Jewish leadership, recounts Acts 9 event. Acts 26, to Agrippa, the Roman, the Gentile authorities, he recounts what happens in Acts 9. What does he say? Verse 15. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? Acts 26, 15. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, that's unbelieving Israel, and from the Gentiles unto whom, what's that word? Now, now when? Acts 13? Acts 28? Now when? Acts 9. Now I send thee. To open, why am I sending you? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And, so what did Paul get in Acts 9? He got his gospel. And he got some more information, enough so that he could tell them, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He doesn't get all the information, but he's got enough on the road to Damascus to be able to tell people, here's how you're going to get saved today in the age of grace. And oh, by the way, you're going to be seated in heavenly places over here one day. Now, the details come later, but he got that on the road to Damascus. You know how you know that? He just told me he did. Luke penned it, and the Holy Spirit confirmed it. Again, transitional, but yet clearly there's a, there is a division. Okay? Now, we got five minutes to do about eight hours worth of stuff here, so just... I gave you, I gave you some references there in Acts 2 and Acts 7, and then in Acts 13, come over to Romans 11. In, in the book of Acts, there are three pivotal points in the book. Acts chapter 2, in verse number 4, we have the day of Pentecost, and we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's pivotal point number one. Because what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit does, John 8, it, it solidifies that the Lord Jesus Christ has been resurrected, but he also has been glorified as the Son of God and Messiah, okay? The Holy Spirit, that's what Acts 2, you start there. I think I gave you a pretty big, uh, yeah, you start in verse 14 and you go all the way through. That's what Peter says. You know how you know that God, that the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting where he, on that throne is because you're now got the Spirit. That's what Joel told him. 
Okay? So the first pivotal point is the outpouring of the Spirit because it confirms what the Lord says is, is how he's going to be confirmed in, uh, in, in, the, in, in him being glorified. Okay? That, by the way, that's John 8, verse 39. Okay? The second pivotal point is Acts chapter 7 with the outcry against Stephen. Because who is Stephen? Chapter 6 of Acts and verse 15, he's a man full of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 7, verse 51 to the end, when they stone Stephen, they blaspheme the Holy Spirit, they do the unpardonable sin of Matthew chapter 12, and they kill him. And it is that moment when Stephen in Acts 7 looked... Look at, look at Acts 7. I'm going to try to hurry, but it ain't going to happen, so I'll just take my lumps. Acts chapter, I don't get many lumps, but Acts 7. When you, see, when you read here in verse 55, Acts 7, 55, And he, that's Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of, of God. He sees two things. He sees the glory of God, i.e. Michael and his angels and the armies of heaven ready to come back and pour out wrath. Remember Elijah and Elisha, and they pull the skins, they pull it back, and they see the armies, and they show, hey, show this guy we're not alone, and boom. That's what Stephen sees. And then he sees the Lord standing, and that, according to the prophets, is for him to come back and to plead and to judge Israel. That's why Stephen says what he says there at the end of, hey, Lord, don't, don't lay this sin to their charge because Stephen knows something. He knows it is over. They are done. And he's trying to, it's too late. So the second pivotal point in the book is the outcry against Stephen. Now it's time for the wrath of God to be poured out. And that brings us to the third pivotal point, and that is the outgoing to the Gentiles. And that's what chapter 13, 46, 18, 6, and 28, 28 are demonstrating. I came to you first. It should have been you. you, you Your blood's on your hands. I'm clean. I'm I'm shaking you off. And lo, we go. By the way, Acts 13, he's in Antioch right up the coast from Jerusalem. No. Acts 13, he's just up the coast. In Acts 18, he's in Corinth. Acts 28, he's in Rome. Jerusalem's way over there on the map. He's moving away from Jerusalem, not towards Jerusalem. Geography. Now, come to Romans 11. Because in Romans 11, we have the outline of the book. And it's our apostle, Paul, that gives it to us. Romans 11, 11. Through 13. The outline here, where, by the way, Romans 15, verse 8, is the outline of the Gospels. That Jesus Christ is a minister of the circumcision to confirm the f- promises made unto the fathers. There, so Romans 15, 8 is the outline of, of the Gospels. And then chapter 15, there, verse uh, 16 and following, or actually 1625, I'm sorry, 1625 of Romans is the outline of Paul's epistles. So Romans has got the outline of everybody. But here's the outline of Acts, Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they, now the they is Israel, back up in verse 7, stumbled that they should fall, God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Now, there's a lot going on there doctrinally, but just catch the outline. What did he just say? Did they stumble, but they didn't fall? Yeah. That's what, what they, they stumbled over, Romans 9. They stumble over the stumbling rock. They stumble over the life and the ministry of their Messiah. But they don't fall. So Calvary is not the fall part, point. 
A lot of religions and denominations out there say Calvary is where Israel falls. Paul just said, no, it ain't. <laughs> See? Luke says, no, it's not. By the way, all the Gospels say, no, it's not. Okay? So the fall, they don't fall at the cross. Israel falls in Acts 7, where they commit that third, that unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. They blaspheme the Father in picture by killing John the Baptist. They blaspheme the Son by killing the Lord Jesus Christ. And then with Stephen, they, you know, three strikes and you're out. They get the Holy Spirit, and that's Matthew 12 is the big no-no. So they don't fall, but then they what? Then they fall. And their fall is with the stoning of Stephen. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Now they're going to do what? Now they're going to diminish away. So, Acts 1 to 7, they're stumbling, but they're not falling. Acts 7, they fall. And from 9 to 28, what do they do? Diminish away. And at the end of 28, 11.15 is their, is their status in God's estimation. He has what with them? He has cast them away. You know what you do when you throw something out? You put it in that black barrel, and that truck comes, picks it up, takes it away, never to be seen again. No, you don't do that? I do. <laughs> Get it out of here, you know. Take it to Goodwill, the big dumping hole, right? Not diminish away. I shop at Goodwill. Don't give me that. Look. Get the suit at Goodwill. I mean, come on, I'm just kidding. Not diminish away. So what's going to happen in Acts? We're going to continue kingdom offered, king. Kingdom prophesied, kingdom is at hand, kingdom offered. Peter and the little flock take the reins. The Lord ascends. He goes off. He ascends up. The Holy Spirit comes. The validation that God the Son is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Glorification is done. They carry on. Israel, apostate Israel, kills Stephen. They fall. We are right there. They fall. They are looking at the wrath to come. God says, no, we're going to do something else. And Paul says, this is what happens. Now Israel diminishes away so that at the end of Acts 28, in that verse 28, when he says, we turn, we go into the Gentiles and they will hear it. Israel has lost her privileged status as God's people in the earth. He's now going to do something completely different and new. They are now cast away. And now we have a new apostle, the Apostle Paul. We have a new program called the mystery. We have a new agency called the church, the body of Christ. We have a new operating system. It's called the dispensation of grace. We have a new realm and a new hope, heavenly places. That is now the focus. And that's going to bring us to us today in Romans to Philemon. And we'll do that next week. Okay? Now, that is as quick of an overview of Acts that I can give you. All right? We'll get in the weeds another time. Don't think Acts is, is something new until we get over here to Paul, when with Paul there is. But coming out of there, it's all the same information. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, I just thank you for the folks' patience as we look into these things and as we rejoice in them, we do so for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand.